All right, folks, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 561. John chapter 3, we're going to finish up our chapter today. We're going to look really at the last really statement from John that John the Baptist that we find in this gospel. It's a testimony concerning Christ. And, and really, it kind of adds to what we're doing as we're going through uh, this gospel. We're, we're going through the gospel of John for the purpose of meeting Jesus. And the reason why we need to reacquaint ourselves with Christ is that so oftentimes we think we know everything there is about Jesus and what he wants and what his purpose was. And especially in the culture in which we lived in today where everybody's telling you this, that, or another, especially as a believer, it is really good for us to get back to the source of our belief, and that's Christ, and to understand what it is that motivates him and what it is that he wants from you and I, and how are we to respond to that. And especially today, when we look at John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, and the closing of that ministry, I think this really gives us a perspective about where our priorities are. What do you mean where our priorities are? What are you talking about, George? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It, it's a natural human tendency that to focus your priorities on you and what you want. What you want to achieve. When you're younger, you have these dreams in your mind about what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. When you get older, you have maybe those dreams have changed, but you still have things that you want to accomplish. You have in your mind how you want to retire or what you want to achieve at the end of your life. Usually in the back of those priorities is what God wants. I'll just be honest with you. Because, and oftentimes, I'll just say this, we often assume what we want is what God wants for us. We often assume that what we want is what God wants for us. Now, the, the crazy thing is, is if you read the Gospels, you realize, you realize real quick that they're not the same. And that oftentimes what we want is not what God wants. God has a different plan. God is moving towards something completely different. And when we come to Christ, we fit into that plan to accomplish his goal, not what we want. Now, that doesn't sound right in our culture today where it's all about what we want and what we want to achieve, but that's not gospel. It's actually something quite different. And we're going to see that today because John, amazingly, grasped it. That's probably one of the reasons why Jesus says later that he was one of the greatest prophets ever. He understood what his role was and he understood what his life meant and what was most important. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at it from, from uh, verse 20, excuse me, verse 22 through verse 36. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look with me. It'll be up on the screen. Look at what the Apostle John records here. And after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. John also was baptizing 
baptizing in Inan near Salam. And there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man cannot receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who speaks of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. But he who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and what he has heard, he, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give his spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. All right, now here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to, we're going to let me kind of set it up for you. Verses 22 through 27 kind of give you the setting of what's going on here why this discussion is taking place. And then once we see this setting, we're going to see a couple of things here. So let me just kind of tell you what's happening, all right? So after the conversation with Nicodemus, okay, so if you notice, it says in verse 22, after these things, he's talking about what he had just talked about, the discussion with Nicodemus. After the discussion with Nicodemus, you know, they're in Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples leave Jerusalem and they go into the countryside of Judea. So while they're there, they start baptizing. Now to the Jew, baptism was a purification rite. For John, it was a baptism unto repentance in preparation for the Messiah. Obviously with the disciples and Jesus, there's no record of Jesus baptizing anyone, but obviously the disciples are baptizing. There is obviously an anticipation of the Messiah here. What happens is now is John is still conducting his ministry and he's at some place called Enon. No one knows where that is today. We can't find it on a map. You're not going to find Enon anywhere. It's near Salam, wherever that is. We just know it's somewhere near the Jordan River. And there was a lot of water there, so therefore he's continuing on in his ministry and baptizing. Now here comes the problem. The problem is, is that some of John's disciples get in an argument with some of the Jews over, you ready for this, purification. Over baptisms. 
over whose baptism is right. Is it the Pharisees when they go through their purification rites? Is it John's baptism? In fact, we know from the Gospels that that seemed to be an issue all the way up until the time of Jesus' crucifixion when Jesus asked, was John's baptism from God? Remember, they didn't want to argue about that because they were afraid of what the people would say. But there's this argument that takes place, and so guess what happens? The disciples of John go back to John and say, hey, wait a minute, John, you know that guy who was with you? that you told us about, he's baptizing now, and everybody's going to him. Now, some scholars feel that maybe there was some jealousy on their part because now Jesus is drawing bigger crowds. Well, and rightfully so, right? Because Jesus is healing people. John didn't heal people. He called them in preparation for what? The Messiah coming. So, they're wanting to know what John's perspective is. And so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to see John's final testimony here recorded. And so we're going to see two things. We're going to see, first of all, his self-perspective. He has this perspective of self that I think maybe you and I need to think about for ourselves. And then he has a perspective about Jesus that you and I need to grasp. Okay? Perspective about Jesus, but first let's look at his self-perspective. We're going to see it in verses 27 through 30. So let's look at these verses again, and I'm going to give you three points, okay? Let's look at these verses. Verse 27. John answered and said, A man cannot receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. All right, so here's three things. First thing I want you to see is this. They're coming to John and saying, he's got more followers than you. And here's what John says. Whatever a man has is because it comes from God. The reason why I had what I have is because God gave it to me. He's not giving me that now. See, here's the point. God is the source of all things you have and receive. God is the source. If we could just get that into perspective. How many times do we... Do we want to so achieve in life and we get so frustrated and angry that no matter what the effort is that we put forth and what we do, we can't seem to achieve what we want to achieve. In fact, some other guy does it better. You ever been frustrated like that? You have an idea, try to do that idea, it doesn't work for you. The next guy over, who you think is beneath you, but you, you seem to have more abilities than him, but he does it and he's, wow, he's got blessing coming in and and the reality is john's saying get a grip on it i got a grip on it the grip i have on it is is that what i have the ministry i have even as it is now diminishing is because god gave it to me what i have comes from god see that's that's the reality you and i need to understand what you have comes from god 
How much time do we waste energy, emotional energy, spiritual energy do we waste trying to achieve and get frustrated because God never gives that to us? Would we all not acknowledge that it's God who gives us what we have? That's what John's doing. Here's the other thing John does. And John is saying his joy was fulfilled in completing his role for the coming event. He uses a wedding to illustrate the point. Okay? Now, weddings are awesome, aren't they? They're awesome for the people who are involved. They're not just awesome for the couple. They are awesome for the couple. That's, it's their day, right? But I'm going to tell you, I have not been at a wedding yet where everybody involved is not filled with joy. I'll be honest with you. Why? Because they're joyful for who? That couple. And each of them fulfills a role. So if you take... Take in our modern day setting of weddings, we have, you know, those who are the bridesmaids and the groomsmen. You have the family, you've got the caterers, you've got everything else involved. And everybody who's involved is excited for who? That couple. Now, is it about them? No. Who are they looking at when the, when the bride comes down the aisle? Are they looking at dad? No. They're looking at the bride. When they come down and they hold hands together, who are they looking at? The couple. Do they pay attention if one of the bridesmaids swats a fly from their face or something? Nobody pays attention. That They're paying attention to who? The couple. And are the bridesmaids and groomsmen and everybody else okay with that? Yes. That's his point. He's not the bridegroom. He's the friend of the bridegroom who rejoices that the bridegroom comes for the bride. See, here's the reality. He understood his role. He found joy in his role. Now, all right, so here's the deep point. Here's, this is deep. I want you to listen to me. Would everybody recognize that there is a greater plan to life? everybody recognize that? What's the greater plan, folks? Jesus coming back. And everything in life, all of human history, all of everything that's going on is moving to that point, right? Everybody agree with that? Now, you have a role in that. I don't know what that role is. Only you know what that role is because God's giving you that role. But here's where that role is. It's where you are at work. It's where you are in your family. It's where you are in your clan. It's where you are in what neck of the woods you live in. You have a role that God wants you to fulfill. And life is for you about that ultimate thing happening, whether it happens next week or 100 years from now, you are doing what you're supposed to be doing to fulfill the task that God has prepared before you as part of that ultimate event that's coming. And so when you look at it, look, that's why he says later when you go to be with him, he says to you, well done, thou good and faithful what? Servant. Yeah. Servant. 
It's not about what you want to achieve in life. It's about you fulfilling the role, whatever it is, wherever you are, that God wants to accomplish through your life. That's why he takes delight in your life. Isn't that what we talked about before we prayed about how God takes delight in your life? He is giving you the ability to will and do good works. He's the one who's motivating you in the direction that you're going. See, John understood that. John's not worried about the fact that Jesus is getting more people. He's the bridegroom. He's just rejoicing that his role is complete. That's the perspective he has here. I think that would free up a lot of us. I know it would free me up if I grasped that reality. That it isn't about what I achieve in life. It's about God's ultimate plan and what part do I take in it. Here's the third thing I want you to see. And this is where he says this verse. We all know this verse. Here's where he, what he says. He says this, verse 30 he must increase, but I must decrease. What's, what's he talking about here? He must increase. He's talking about Jesus. The, the reality of Jesus is and who he is must be increased. He must get all of the focus, all of the, and I must decrease. I take a back seat. What's going on here? He was humble enough to put Jesus first over himself. He was humble enough to put Jesus first over himself. Now, remember I told you that our thinking sometimes about God and Jesus and what he wants, we equate that with what we want. We, we, our concepts of world and country and, and family and community and everything, we, we sometimes operate, and I know I get there, it's, it's natural. We have this natural tendency to, to think that what we think, because we, we've arrived, is what God wants. But oftentimes, I'll be honest with you, it's not what God wants. God has something completely different in mind. And the reality is, is are you okay with that? Are you okay that sometimes that God's plans and dreams and, 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 and what he wants is completely different than what you want? You're going to have to learn to be okay with it because... That's life, isn't it? And so here's what happens. He comes to a realization that it's not about him. It's about who? Jesus and what he wants. Isn't that what Jesus says in the garden? Father, nevertheless, not my will, but what your will be done. Because Jesus in the garden, human Jesus says, if this cup could pass from me because he knows he's going to die, let it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's about what God wants. And so this self-perspective of John, this is why I think John, Jesus was right in saying he was the greatest prophet ever. He's not motivated by self. He's motivated by the plan. The Messiah, he was humble enough to put Jesus first. Now, how do you get there? Because you and I can look at this. If we look at these three points, 
when you recognize that God is the source of all things and we just need to be content with that, when you look at the reality that his joy is, is found in fulfilling the role that he is supposed to fulfill in God's ultimate plan and then the reality is, is about he's humbling himself because it's Jesus first over himself. How do you get there? Because I'm going to be honest with you, that's not natural. Would you all agree with that? Would you agree that that perspective that John is conveying here is not a part of human life because part of human life is it's about me and what I want. You know, I've joked with you many times before I'm learning to do better that, you know, when we sit around and make decisions as a family in the Cannon household, you know, and they're all coming in, I'll say, oh, no, no, I want this. And, and everybody's used to say this because they've stopped now, thankfully, because I was having a complex. It's all about you, Dad. It's all about you. And you know what? That's true. It's all about us. What we want and what we think and what we want to achieve. But it's not. Here, let me give you a perspective, okay? Let me give you a perspective about how it's not, okay? All right, I want you to think about something. Before you became saved, before you became a believer, it was all about you. Before, at whatever point you came to Christ, it was all about you, your dreams and goals and whatever, and how did that go? Now, for some of you, when you, were, uh, uh, you came to Christ as a, as a child or whatever, you, you maybe can't grasp what I'm pointing, but I came to, I came to Christ as a 19-year-old. I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't going good. Focused, self-absorbed, it wasn't going good. And so when I came to Jesus, I came to Jesus because he made a whole lot more sense. And so I gave my life to him. But notice how we live our lives right now. We want to live our lives like we were before we got saved, where it's all about us. But it's not about us anymore. It's about the one we gave our life to, Jesus. I think that's how John could get to that point. But I want you to see why he could get to that point, because he had a perspective about Jesus that I think we need to grasp as well. And so that's what we're going to focus on the rest of our time here is the perspective about Jesus, and it's in verse 31 to 36. Okay? So let's take these verse by verse as we go through this. So let's look, first of all, verse 31. He's talking about Jesus here. He who comes from above is above all, but he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. All. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is from heaven. Now, when he talks about one who speaks from the earth, he's talking about himself. So when he is giving his perspective, it's an earthly perspective. But when he talks about Jesus, when he comes and when he speaks, he's talking about that is from heaven. There, here's what I want you to see. There is a recognition that Jesus is preeminent over everyone. John understands that when we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about Bubba. We're not just talking about some dude. We're not talking about some great teacher who's a tragic figure in history. We're talking about somebody who is from heaven, who's God. 
who is over all. He says, in fact, he goes on. So when I speak, I speak of earthly things because I'm from the earth. But the one who comes from heaven, he is over all. Isn't that what it says there? He's over all? Man, we need to recognize that. I, I know that we went through this period of time where Jesus is my friend who sticks closer than a brother. Yes, the scripture does say that. But I'm going to be honest with you. He ain't just your normal friend. He's God. And he doesn't cease to be that. So there's this recognition that Jesus is preeminent over all. That's why he can get to the place where he says, he must decrease, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. That's how he can get to that perspective. That's how he can say, it's all about the bridegroom, and I'm a friend of the bridegroom, so I, my joy is in making sure that the event happens. As soon as I hear his voice, the joy is there. How does he get that? Because he recognizes who Jesus is. Here's the second thing. Look with me. Verse 32 and 33. And what he has seen and heard that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. All right, so here's what he's saying. So he's saying that Jesus, when he speaks, he's just telling you what he has seen and what he has heard from heaven. But he goes on and makes the point that, as usual, we've already seen it through this gospel, people don't want to believe it. People don't want to receive it. And that's true to this day. I'm going to tell you folks, no matter how much we try in our efforts, a majority of people are not going to understand or want to understand because they don't want to receive it. And he's already told us why earlier. That they're already condemned. Why? Because they love their sin more than they love God. That's, that's reality here. So here's what I want you to see. But those who have received it validate that God is true. What's going on here? Here's what I want you to see. Those who accept Jesus' testimony validated, have validated that God is true. So the reality is, is that when you accept, here's what John is saying, when you accept what Jesus is saying, when you grasp a hold of it, when you receive it, that concept of receiving is that you embrace it. When you embrace what Jesus is saying, and you embrace what he is saying about himself and who he is, we're talking about the whole issue of salvation here. When you get saved, you just validate the reality that God is true. That God is true. And that's what happens. And I think we understand that. What do you mean? All right, so let's take the, let's take the scripture, for instance. You know, a lot of people read the Bible. Would everybody acknowledge that? There's a lot of people who read the Bible. But I've met some people who read the Bible who come away and they cannot understand it makes no sense to them. You ever met somebody that it makes no sense to? In fact, they almost twist things out of context and so forth because they don't understand the flow. But here's what happens. I noticed it happened in my life, is that when you come to Jesus, you change. But not just change as far as who you are in your character. Your mind changes. 
your mind opens up so that now when you read the scripture, it makes sense. Didn't make sense before, but now it does. And God's speaking you to you through it. Wow. What a validation that God is true. It's the reality of what he's doing in your life. See, this is how John could come to that perspective is because he's recognizing who Jesus is and what he's done. Here, look with me now at verse 33, excuse me, verse 34 and 35. He's going to talk about the words of Jesus here. Look with me in verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. And the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Jesus speaks the word of God and is empowered by the fullness of the Spirit. He speaks the word of God. So when you look at what Jesus is saying, that's why, can I be honest with you, this Bible right now is a red letter edition. What does that mean? Well, somebody along the way decided to make the words of Jesus red so that you can see these are the words of Jesus, Okay. Uh, be honest with you, when they wrote it, they didn't have red ink, okay? Th that's something from the last couple hundred years. Okay, so whether you look at those words or it's all God's word. But when Jesus speaks, John's saying, look, it's from God. And so that you understand when you see Jesus, you are seeing the fullness of the Spirit upon him. And God doesn't withhold a measure of the Spirit from anyone on whom the Spirit is from. That's what John is saying. God is empowering him. There's a point there I'll make for you here in a second concerning you and I because we have the Spirit. But first of all, what I want you to see is, is that he's wanting you to see that when Jesus speaks, that's God. And isn't that what Jesus says earlier? What the Father has told me, I tell you. When you see me, he says to Thomas, you see the Father. It's the reality of who he is and his authority in our lives. Now let's talk about the fullness of the Spirit. He makes a point here about Jesus. He says, God does not give in measure his Spirit. That's a point that you and I need to understand because when you come to Christ, who enters into your life, folks? Who enters into your life? Holy Spirit. How much of him? Just a little bit? All of him, right? Talks about the blessing of God in your life, right? When he gives full measure of the Spirit in your life, just like he did Jesus. See, that's the reality. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Look with me at verse 35. Again, he's talking about who Jesus is. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. All right, here's the point I want you to see. God the Father loves the Son and has given, all, has given him authority over all. You want to know who Jesus is? He's the Father's Son, whom the Father loves so much. He, not just, he didn't just love us, for God so loved the world, what? He gave his only begotten Son. But the Son whom he gave, he loves. And he loves him so much, what does he do? He gives him everything into his hand. Now, what does that mean, into his hand? Well, in that ancient concept, when you talk about giving something into the hand, typically it's in their right hand, it's 
control over something. You've heard that when you've read like some, some story or whatever, and now I'm in his hand, and now I have him in my hand. What is it? I have control over him. That's the concept here. What he's saying is, is that he has given Jesus the authority over everything. Folks, that's it. Jesus has authority over everything. Now do you understand why John can have that perspective about life? But there's one other thing that goes on here. We see it in verse 36. Look with me at what it says. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him forever. Abides on him. Here's what I want you to see. We are left with a choice about Jesus and its ramifications. You and I are left with a choice. He either is who he is or he's not. You either choose to believe in him and follow him or you don't. But here's the reality. The ramifications of that is, is that those who believe and follow, they'll have what? Everlasting life. You'll live forever. But those who do not believe, he says two things here. Number one, they won't have life. Meaning, what's the opposite of life? Death. Spiritual death. But here's what it says. He goes one step further because he says what is abiding on them? The wrath of God. Now, what is the wrath of God? Just so you understand what we're talking about here, it's a judicial wrath. Now, we're not talking about wrath. Like, for instance, you ever, you ever gone berserk on your kids? Don't admit it, but have you? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. They've done something. They've plucked your last nerve. What's going on? They're facing the wrath of mom or dad. That's an emotional outburst, right? Usually when we think of wrath, we think of an emotional outburst. That is not what it's talking about here is that those who do not believe face an emotional outburst from God. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a judicial wrath. What does it mean? Well, I think we understand. We have a court system. And if somebody murders somebody or somebody steals something, especially if let's say somebody murders somebody and they are found guilty, the judge then pronounces a what? A sentence. And in some states, and I think the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is the same way, they'll pronounce a sentence of death. Now, when that person is executed, they face, here's what they face, the wrath of the state. Now, is that an emotional outburst of the state? No, no, no. It's a judicial wrath. It is a judicial wrath. That's what he's talking about here. When he's talking about that the wrath of God is upon them, they are facing what? The penalties of their what? Sin. Which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you look at what he said earlier, he said Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to what? Save the world. But he also says that they're already condemned. Why? Because they choose their sin. And when you choose the sin, you face the what for it? The consequences for it. And the wrath for it the judicial sentence for it. Do you understand? See, this is where John is coming from. 
This is how John can get to the place where they come to him and say, aren't you worried about he's got bigger crowds than you? No, no, whatever I have is, comes from God. You know, I just rejoice in that the bridegroom is here. I must decrease, he must increase. How do you get to that place? Because John understands who Jesus is. And John understands that it's not about what he wants out of life. It's about what God wants. And that he has a role to play in the ultimate plan. I think sometimes we lose sight of that. It's about you, wherever you live. If it's here in Clearfield County or somewhere else, if it's in Clearfield or Kerwinsville or in the township surrounding, it's you in that family, in that clan, it's in that workplace. You have a role to fulfill there. And it's not about what you want. It's about what God wants to do. And it's about getting that perspective. That's what getting real with Jesus is about. It's living out your life there. And fulfilling that role. Now let me just stop because I know what happens. Oh, so George wants me to carry my big Bible to work and let everybody... No, I'm not talking about that. That's not what I'm talking about. I know some people reduce it down to that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about you living out your Christian life where it is. And that speaks for itself. But you put God first. Because whatever you have comes from him. And he's going to take care of you. Something to think about. Let me pray for you.